Oh my gosh. And they got it. And they got it in Fitzpatrick. This win was everything 2020 needed and more. They have clinched. We have big things coming in 2021. My name's Maddie. My name's Charlotte Payne. This is Locker Room Ladies. Go Canes. Take cover because Sarah Thomas is going to shatter the glass ceiling at Raymond James Stadium next week. The Super Bowl is on its way here, and there is a lot to talk about. We'll have a special guest joining us later. And McGregor ate the mat this weekend. We'll tell you what you need to know about that. Plus, the latest standings in the NHL. Who's hot and who's not? And we all know that TikTok's taken over, but there's one video in particular that has us emotional. Welcome back to Locker Room, ladies. Thanks for joining us on episode four. I'm Charlotte. I'm Maddie. Thanks for coming back. It's January 28th, 2021. I think this is the last Thursday of January, is it? Yes. Ooh. Our next episode (laughs) is going to be Super Bowl week. And Maddie's birthday is next week, exactly a week from today. Kiss 23, goodbye. Oh my god, I'm going to cry. Let's get into this. Yes, There's a lot going on. So speaking of Super Bowl week, actually, we have an amazing woman who is doing big things in the NFL. Sarah Thomas, NFL's first full-time female referee. We mentioned her briefly last week, but... There is just so much more to say about her, so we wanted to give her the spotlight on today's episode. She is going to be in Tampa on February 7th officiating the Super Bowl, which is so cool. I can't believe it. It, We always say this, but why has it taken this long? But this is a woman who came into the NFL in 2015, already breaking records. She's officiated a major college football game, a bowl game. She was the first to officiate in a Big Ten stadium. This is her, now her sixth season in the, NF, in the NFL. At 47 years old, she's going to break another record. Yeah, last year she became the first woman to officiate a playoff game. And now she's going to be the first woman to officiate a Super Bowl, which like, I think everyone's goal in sports and sports media is to be at the Super Bowl in some capacity. I think it's a huge goal of mine as a media person to someday be covering the Super Bowl. So I just can't even imagine what's going through her mind. I think that's an amazing feat for anyone, regardless of gender. Um, And it's just super cool. And I cannot wait to see her on the greatest stage in football. It's going to be a historic game anyway. She's just taking it to the next level. She's also a mother, a mother to three babies. She's married, 47 years old. We said to do it, to do it big, to break records all while you have three children under tow. I can't even imagine. It's hard enough to make it as a mother and a parent and be committed to your spouse and can be committed to your children all at the same time. Kudos. I think it was exciting enough to see her on the sidelines. I was at last week. I saw her ponytail on the field and I texted you and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a woman ref. And then we we got the announcement that she was going to be officiating the Super Bowl as well. So it is awesome to see that representation, especially since we already have the Buccaneers who employ females on their sidelines so it's it's really awesome to see that representation especially in the biggest football game of the year yeah and it's not going unnoticed there I'm seeing her all over social media women like Erin Andrews Krista Thompson they're posting their congrats to her hopefully soon it's not going to be such a big deal that there's a female officiant on the field I can't wait for that day right I'd like to see more than one woman exactly there's (laughs) seven people in total on Sunday so seven women would be amazing Oh my gosh, that'd be incredible. Hopefully, hopefully it's not far out. I can't wait to see what happens next for her. And speaking of the big game, we finally know which teams are going to be facing off in Tampa Bay on February Yes. 7th. Okay, so the bitches breakdown. Let's get into it. The first game of the weekend was the NFC Championship. The Bucks came out on top. The Packers lost yet another NFC title game after a tragic loss last year against the 49ers. Um, And there's a lot of controversy in this loss and a lot of people calling for Matt LaFleur's head now. Nobody is happy with him, but I do know one person that has a hot take. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to bring in um, my dad, Matt Brown. He actually gave me some reasons why he thought LaFleur coached a good game. And I I was complaining. I was like, I can't believe he, 
kicked the field goal there. I can't believe he did this and that. Um, and Matt Brown has, has his own opinion on it. So, so let's go, Dad. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Packers-Bucks game and, and the coaching specifically? Yeah, that was a tough decision, obviously. Um, it might not have been the decision I made, but everybody thinks you know scoring a touchdown there, the two-point conversion was a gimme and was going to happen. But you know, I think the two-point conversion success rate in the NFL is like almost 50%. So just if you scored a touchdown, you still weren't necessarily going to tie it up. You still needed to score twice anyway. They already tried to score three times from the eight, couldn't get it in. So you had to take points there. I understand it. We had three timeouts remaining plus a two-minute uh, convert, two-minute uh, warning. So you had four times to stop it. Uh, you had to stop the Buccaneers' offense, and they weren't able to do that. Um, and that was a big key. And also, if you think about it, Matt LaFleur did something very smart at the two point at the two minute warning. If you remember, it was second and one because the Buccaneers got nine yards on first down coming back from the commercial break. There was a minute 56 left um, in the game. And Matt LaFleur's defense jumped off sides. I still believe that, that was on purpose because what that did was gave them a first down. It's only a five yard penalty, gave them a first down instead of giving them the ball second and one. They're obviously going to run it with four net at that point, probably get a first down and the clock would have started moving and they would have to stop it again. By there taking that penalty, it gave them a first down. Now it's first and 10 and no time came off the clock. So I think he did what he could. The defense needed to stop and they didn't. And I think that's what the key to the game was. It wasn't necessarily that decision not to go for the touchdown, but it was the defense had to come up bigger than that. But so my thing is, watching that game, the defense didn't really make any huge plays. I mean, obviously, they capitalized off of those interceptions, but the defense wasn't the strong source of that Packers game. I mean, it was it was simple. It, they didn't they weren't able to stop Tom Brady when they needed to throughout that entire game. So I think relying on your defense and giving the ball back to the greatest quarterback of all time is super questionable, especially since Aaron Rodgers is likely going to be the MVP of the NFL. Like you don't trust your MVP quarterback to be able to get it in on fourth down. And he says he's ready to go for it. But LaFleur says, no, I mean that to me, you almost had to get it there. Like if you, if you couldn't get it there, you were still going to have to get another touchdown anyway. So my thing is like, why not try for the touchdown? And then if you don't get it, okay. Yeah. You got zero points, but then either way, even with that field goal, they were going to have to score again. Yeah. They weren't going to have to get the two point conversion, but I mean, they already tried for a two-point conversion earlier in the game and didn't get it. So if it's a 50% um, completion rate, then odds would say that they'd be able to get it the second try. So I don't know. I, I think I think a lot of people think that they should have um, gone for it there. I probably would have done it too. Um, but you have to remember, as I said, they, they had three cracks at it earlier. They didn't get it in. Aaron Rodgers had two chances. He could have scored on his own if he would have just run it in. He made the decision not to. I don't understand why that was. Um, you also said about the Packers defense. I mean, I think what cost them even more than that was the end of the first half. How do you let Scotty Miller get behind the defense there with basically no time left in the half and score that touchdown pass? I mean, that to me was a bigger mistake than, you know, kicking a field goal at the end of the game. I mean, you have to be able to line up your safeties on the goal line there and never let somebody get behind you. That was a bigger mistake to me. Yeah, I mean, I think also – what that play showed me is I, I just, I think a lot of it was just um, the Packers getting out coached. I think the Buccaneers coaching staff just absolutely took every risk possible. And like you said, Bruce Arians motto is no risk at no biscuit, but Matt LaFleur didn't risk it. And I don't know. I feel like maybe if they would have made riskier decisions earlier in the game, they could have like another time Aaron Rodgers threw to Devonte Adams three times and didn't get it in. They didn't go for it on that fourth down. That was a field goal that could change the game. So I think a couple of things that they did earlier on not taking risks and, and I don't know, taking the two point conversion earlier on, that was honestly a weird call to me at the point that they did that. So I just feel like it was a lot of just out coaching because Tom Brady threw three interceptions. He's an incredible player and he has a lot to bring to the table, but he didn't play his best game. We've ever seen him play he threw three interceptions. That's huge. Right. I mean, you said it, the coaching staff at Tampa, you know, I think they're one of the best coaching staffs in the league. I may be a little bit biased, but I definitely do. But if you think about that first half again, that last drive, um, Bruce Arians had a decision at fourth and three from just about mid um, field. 
And he went for it, picked up the first down, and then scored a touchdown at the end. So, yeah, as you said, you know, no risk it, no biscuit. You have to take chances, especially in a game where you lose and you go home. That's the thing, though. I feel like, honestly, coming from Pittsburgh, you and I, we've watched a lot of Mike Tomlin. Let's just punt it on fourth down kind of thing. That's the vibe I got. When I saw LaFleur kicking the field goal goal, I was like, am I watching Mike Tomlin right now? Because – I'm so used to seeing coaches not risk it when, when they can. And especially in playoff games, Tomlin did the same thing. He punted it on fourth and one. And it's just, the playoffs are not the time to make those. Okay. Let's just get it. Let's just get the points. Let's just move on. Let's just rely on our defense. You have to take risks, especially in the playoffs. And that's what got the bucks there. They were on a wild card. They didn't have the best season in the NFL this year, but they made the right decisions in the games that mattered in the last three weeks. Yeah. Speaking about decisions, Aaron Rodgers himself said, this was not my decision. He supported his coach. He went with what his coach says, but he says, this was not my decision. Had it been his decision, maybe they would have gone for it. And maybe it would have changed the whole trajectory of uh, next Sunday. We would have had a com- completely different situation here. I think there were a lot of upset fans because of that decision. And I think it was, that's why people are so upset because they're, mad that this was the play this was the decision the other thing is people were saying like if if Aaron Rodgers would have just said no the floor we're gonna go for it and missed it then it would have been Aaron's fault but the thing is I think if the coach would have decided to go for it and not get it the bottom line is they still needed one more touchdown no matter what they did there they still needed at least one more touchdown um if they didn't get that touchdown with the field goal. So my thing was just like, go for it. If you don't get it, you still have to go down the field again with the field goal. So also you're, you're at the eight yard line. So let's say you need to get to the 30 or the 35 to get a field goal later. Don't you think it's easier to only have to get down to the 35 within two minutes rather than going for it on the eight yard line there? Yeah, I agree with that. But as you said, Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback in the league right now. He's going to win the MVP. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, you would think if you give them the ball back, and there was plenty of time. They had the three timeouts plus a two-minute um, warning they, to get them the ball back, and it just the officials didn't do it. And I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, let's face it. One play doesn't cost somebody a game. Um, it didn't come down to missing that field goal. There was a lot of things that happened that, that game. They could have gone differently for Green Bay to give them a much better chance. I mean, they were down 18 in the first half, and, you know, it's a tough hole to dig yourself out from underneath. So I don't think I mean, it came down there. I think also the other thing is capitalizing off of those turnovers. Yes, Tom Brady threw three picks, but his defense backed him up and and they were able to maintain their lead throughout that game. Yeah, it was a situation where Aaron Rodgers kind of choked on a lot of opportunities. I want to be upset about the loss because it seems like it was kind of like, come on, like this couldn't, this didn't have to happen this way. But you're right. There were a lot of missed opportunities from Aaron Rodgers. I also just think going back to the coaching thing, I just, I really feel like uh, Bruce Arians and the offensive and defensive coordinators in Tampa prepared the Buccaneers far better than LaFleur prepared his team. I mean, it, it's almost just like they get so close every year, but they're not prepared and they look like they don't look like the same Packers team that we've been watching all season long. Once they get to the NFC championship. And we saw this happen last year too. Oh, that's true. I just think that the game plan was better. Obviously, Bruce Arians and his staff see something in Aaron Rodgers that they that they are good against. Um, they beat him 38-10 the first time around earlier in the season. So I guess they have their number. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, as good as he is, made some big mistakes in that game on Sunday uh, that really cost him as well. I mean, I was pretty surprised that he wasn't able to get the ball to Devontae that first try. He threw it to him three times in a row, and two of them were huge overthrows. It was definitely Aaron's fault, two of the things that that Devontae didn't catch. The other one was a defender um, did his job. But, I I mean, I was really shocked because Devontae and Aaron, we've talked about them on this podcast before. They're just such a a dominant duo on the field, and it's almost like Devontae Adams is a sure thing for Aaron Rodgers and has been throughout this season. So to see him throw to him multiple times on multiple drives and take probably five or six chances before he got the ball in Devontae's hands in the end zone was surprising to me. Yeah, and I don't know why he didn't have faith in himself either on that third down play. Um, he had open field in front of him. He could have easily scored that. And he does that a lot, Aaron Rodgers. He runs the ball. He scores touchdowns. Uh, he did it the week before in the playoff game, and he didn't do it this week. So I don't understand what his thinking was there. 
Um, he had a better chance to throw it into double coverage. Um, I mean, that, that seemed like a bad decision on his part as well. I mean, we saw him. Yeah, you're right. He did it against the Rams. And my thing is with Aaron Rodgers, he's not a quarterback that is afraid to get hit. We've seen quarterbacks that are afraid to get hit. Aaron Rodgers is not one of them. Tom Brady running it in there. Yeah, he's going to slide way before he needs to get what he needs to get. He's just not the kind of quarterback that's going to let a defender hit him if he doesn't have to. Aaron Rodgers has taken hits before. So and he got sacked five times during that game. Like, where was their offensive line? I was just bewildered watching that because, I mean, the Bucs had a, their defense played very well on Sunday, but I wouldn't consider them the top one of the top defenses in the NFL. So to be able to take down the MVP quarterback five times in one game is also just really impressive and also surprising. Yeah, and, and the Buccaneers had some injuries at safety. Both their starting safeties were out of that game in the second half. Um, for them to put up that, I think Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator, put a great game plan together. Their linebacker stepped up big. And as you said, with the sacks, um, constantly putting pressure on Aaron Rodgers, I think that really cost him to make some of those bad decisions we just talked about. The, yeah, I also, the defense was able really to capitalize off that, um, those poor decisions, the Bucks defense. But I think what it really came down to, as we said, out strategizing the coaches. BA has worked with one of the coaches before. Yeah. yeah. So, so he knew, he knew what was, he knew going into this. All right. I know this guy, I know this team. I know what I have to do. And I, he went out and did it on his team. He's, I mean, Todd Bowles was with him. Todd Bowles, his defensive coordinator was with him in Arizona. And so was Byron Leftwich. They were both on his staff there. So he's got familiarity. Uh, his entire staff has been with him for a long, long time. He's got um, Nick Rapone on that defensive staff. He's had since his days at Temple back in the eighties. So there's a lot of familiarity. I think that they're very comfortable with themselves putting together game plans. Um, and um, you know, it showed on Sunday and hopefully it shows in two weeks. Hopefully they can do the same thing um, against the chiefs team. Did Bruce coach Byron Leftwich in Pittsburgh? Did he coach who? Byron Leftwich in Pittsburgh. He did. Yes. Uh, he's got a lot of former Steelers on his staff. He usually does that when he was in Arizona, they called it Pittsburgh West. And now it's kind of Tampa's Pittsburgh South. Uh, he gets very comfortable with people and, and he's very loyal to them. Um, he had uh, Larry Foote was on his staff in Arizona, who was a former Steeler as well. Um, Plexico Burris was a receiving coach in his Arizona team. So he does that quite a bit. Well, something else, though, another Pittsburgh guy that Bruce picked up was Antonio Brown, and he actually didn't play in that game. So I was a little nervous for the Bucks going into that because he has been such a playmaker and he has connected so well with Tom Brady in the past few weeks. Um, so I was I was like, oh, he's not going to be able to play. I'm not sure about that. But like I said, the Packers defense just it looked like they just did not have a plan. And even with Antonio Brown out there, you'd think that they'd almost be able to capitalize on the offense a little bit more and they just really did not put the pressure that they needed to for that game yeah, and scotty miller um stepped in for antonio brown in the slot position and he came up big i mean that touchdown at the end of that first half was was huge for them um i don't know i still don't understand how they got behind them there and how they let him get behind them but it happened and you know you have to give a lot of credit to scotty miller too for stepping into that role well that and let's go back to that because that is something that during the game i actually called you dad and i was like i'm bewilder right now because that was such a smart call it was so risky to go for it there with I think it was 13 seconds left and then six seconds left and to not just give the ball back and say okay well we're already up 14 10 and be happy with that and going to the locker room on top they said no we're not happy with 14 10 Tom Brady went off the field and came back on and said we're gonna go for this Bruce Arians backed him they went for it and it absolutely would have worked because when you think about it there they really did not have anything to lose by going it for it there they were already up but but they made that decision which I think a lot of coaches would have just said okay 13 seconds left we're just gonna take the knee go into the locker room we're up by four we're happy with it but if they were only up by four during that game they wouldn't have won yeah I mean they they ended up winning by five but they would have done probably something differently there that's what defines a playoff team too are they gonna we keep going back to this risk analysis. Are they going to take the risk? Are they going to go for it? Yeah, it's a mentality of play to win. And, you know, we see it, Madison, too many times in Pittsburgh where we don't play to win all the time. You play not to lose. And I think that's where you can get in trouble. Uh, I, I would think it was really refreshing to see Bruce and his staff that they came out there and they were going to do everything they could to win that game. And that's taking chances. And I think it paid off. And I think he'll do the same thing in the Super Bowl. 
they'll take chances if they're there. And he's going to take advantage of any opportunities they give him. I've always said this about Bruce Arians. I like how bold he is because on the sidelines, he doesn't sugarcoat anything in interviews on the sidelines. If he's mad about something, you know it. Even with the masks and the shields, he's mad. You can tell he does not put on a front. He doesn't do the politicians answers and in interviews he is so bold in all of his decisions but it really comes down to he has one of the greatest no he has the greatest quarterback greatest football player who's ever taken the field on his team and he put his trust in Tom Brady and in his team and was able to capitalize on that at the end of the second half and I mean Matt LaFleur has the MVP and he didn't put his trust in Aaron Rodgers there agreed and Aaron Rodgers didn't have faith in himself either because he could have scored that touchdown um, on third down there at the end of the game um, so yeah, I think it's really beneficial for somebody having somebody like Bruce Arians has the experience that he has. He's been in the NFL for you know well over 30 years and coached some really, really good players. Um, he's coached some of the top quarterbacks of all time. Um, you know, they call him the quarterback whisperer. And, you know, he really took advantage of that with having Tom Brady on his team. And Tom didn't skip a beat. I mean, he, Bruce hasn't changed his offense for him. He's going to throw it downfield, take those risks. And Tom stepped up big on Sunday. He threw some nice deep passes in that game early on the first drive. Uh, that long bomb was a was a big play. And then again, the end of the first half. So he, he stepped up when he had to, which you would expect from, a, you know, greatest of all time. He, he is. I, think, I don't think there's any question about that. So Tom Brady with this win actually now has tied Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, who also got talked about as the quote unquote goat. Um, they now all have the same amount of NFC titles, which is pretty crazy because Tom Brady's only been in the NFC for one season. I think the craziest thing is that this is his 10th Super Bowl. I mean, he played in 14 championship games. The Pittsburgh Steelers have the most as a team, and they have 16. Tom Brady has 14, and now he's playing his 10th Super Bowl. That's just – and I, I didn't know coming out of this if it was Bill Belichick or if it was Tom Brady that were the greatest. I think Tom's really um, proven this year with Belichick going 7-9 and nine and uh, Tom Brady playing in the Super Bowl one more time. So That's I what he wanted that to prove. That's what he wanted yeah. to show the world that he could do it without Belichick. And I think it's also really cool how Tom Brady was in his first Super Bowl when Patrick Mahomes was six years old and now they're going to be facing off next week. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. I, I, um, I would hate to be Bill Belichick right now for, for the record, but speaking of teams that went seven and nine, I think another thing to point out is that the Buccaneers went seven and nine last season. And now they're in the Super Bowl. I watched the Buccaneers play in Seattle last season. Um, I had tickets. I was I was living in Washington at the time. I went up for that game with my Bucks gear on. This was when Jameis Winston was playing quarterback. And they went into overtime, and they were not able to pull off a win over Seattle. And we saw a couple heartbreaking losses for the Bucs last season. But, I mean, I've always – I've been following Bruce Arian since he was the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, and I've always kind of looked at him as, like, the comeback kid, the turnaround. Like, he always takes these teams that are so down and out and really builds them back up. And I think we've seen that so much with this Bucks team because he really just tore this franchise to the ground and basically rebuilt it from the bottom up, and it absolutely has paid off for him. But, I mean, he came out of retirement – to coach this Bucks team, and now he's going to the Super Bowl. I think that that just speaks volumes about his talent and just his football knowledge and his football IQ because he's done such a great job making all of those decisions to really give Tom Brady the weapons he needs to get a Super Bowl in the NFC. No doubt. Agreed. All right, should we talk um, – get our predictions for the Super Bowl from Matt? What do you think is going to happen? Man, that's a tough one. I know who I want to win the game. Um, you know, the Chiefs showed last week that they are still the force to be reckoned with. I mean, they kind of struggled down the stretch this season, didn't put up a lot of points. They were winning by, you know, three, four, um, making close games. But last week, what they did to Buffalo was pretty impressive. So, I mean, Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a, have a big task at hand. I think they can do it. Um, you know, you, when you have the greatest quarterback of all time, you obviously have a chance. And with the way that defense is playing, the, the, the linebacker force playing, having Antonio Brown back in, in two weeks is probably going to be huge. Um, so, yeah, I give them a chance. I think it's going to be close. Uh, I think it opened a line about is three right now. Um, I would say that the um, Buccaneers can, can cover that spread and uh, even win the game. And obviously that's what I'll be doing. I'll be rooting for them. I think um... – 
another thing to add on to that is just that we've seen the narrative already like Charlotte mentioned Patrick Mahomes was in kindergarten when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl and I think people are looking at at Patrick Mahomes as is this kid looks unstoppable how many Super Bowls is he gonna rack up because he's so young but I think that Tom Brady getting a chance to play him on such a big stage knowing Tom Brady and how competitive he is and how passionate he is for the game I think he has something to prove there to show okay wait I'm 43 you're 24 I am still the greatest of all time and I'm going to prove it here while we're on the same field this is probably what this may be his last chance to really prove this against Patrick Mahomes we don't know who's going to be in the Super Bowl next year we don't know if they're going to face off again on a stage like this so I think that Tom Brady is going to go into it with a little bit of something to prove Patrick Mahomes wants to beat Tom Brady of course but I think that Brady's experience is really going to speak volumes um, during his performance on February 7th yeah that's going to help him out a lot and I mean Patrick Mahomes who doesn't want to beat Tom Brady as in that if you're a quarterback who doesn't want that but He's young. He has so many years to prove himself. He's he's already done so much. He has a Super Bowl ring. I don't think it'll he'll be breaking his back if he doesn't win this Super Bowl. And I don't think he will. I'm going to take the Bucks for the Super Bowl this year. Me too. So it looks like all three of us are taking the underdogs. But I, I've said this. I've said I think the Chiefs are beatable. They absolutely did not look beatable on Sunday against Buffalo. But we'll get into that, Charlotte. I don't think Buffalo showed up. Uh, there's a whole lot to yeah, unpack there. There's a lot to discuss there. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack, but I, I just, I think I've seen the chiefs look beatable in the regular season. The Raiders of all teams figured out how to beat them. And if any team and any coaching staff is going to figure out the right formula of how to beat the chiefs, it's Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bruce Arians. Yes. They have a lot of weapons on that team. I mean, both sides, uh, Buccaneers have a lot of weapons on offense. Um, and so do the Chiefs. So it's going to be an interesting game. I expect a, a lot of points. Um, I would think that they're going to be somewhere similar to, you know, scoring in the 30s or more, both teams. So I think it's going to be a close one. Bucks probably win at something like 35, 32. I'd take the over. <laughs> um, I probably will. Well, also, another thing that's interesting is so we saw Tom Brady and, and the Buccaneers against the Chiefs earlier this season. The first half of that game did not start off well at all for the Buccaneers they ended up coming back and I think getting it into within three points or something they, they made it close in the end um which that proves that they are able to compete against the Chiefs but the Chiefs do have that ability to just turn on the offense whenever they want but we also saw Tom Brady lose twice this season to Drew Brees in kind of pretty convincing losses and then he came into the playoffs and just said absolutely no way and so I think we could see something similar to that because Tom really has it figured out. He knows that the regular season does not define the entire season, especially when you make it to the Super Bowl. The regular season really doesn't matter. And I think he also, having played that game and lost, I think he wants to redeem himself, especially on a stage as big as the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, we've said this too. The past couple episodes on the podcast, we've said Tom Brady has something he wants to prove. He's done it all. I've said this before. He's got the wife. He's got the kids. He's got the money. He's got the rings. He wants to do this in dramatic fashion. He is going to be as efficient as he needs to be to get it done. Those were upsetting losses for him, but here he is. Who's who's going to the Super Bowl this weekend? It's not Drew Brees. It's not whoever. It's Tom Brady. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And he has been as efficient as he needs to be to make history and break records in a dramatic way and at the end of the day not not so many people are talking about this Bucks defense we're talking about Tom Brady no matter what the story is Tom Brady's going to be the main character no matter what he does he's already accomplished so much like you said Charlotte like he's just broken so many records that just are never probably ever going to be broken because he's just that good I don't think anyone can argue that he's not the greatest person to ever throw a football truthfully but yeah, I just, I think it is going to be that, that we see, we see the chiefs and they have that dominant, dominant offense. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, the bucks have a stronger defense. And I think that that is where the game is going to be decided in February. Yeah. They just need to come out a better start than they did last time they faced the chiefs back in November. As you said, um, that game, the chiefs jumped on them pretty quick. Tyreek Hill had, I think seven catches over 200 yards. Um, and two touchdowns in the first quarter alone in that game. 
So come Super Bowl time, Bruce and his defense better get figure something out on how on who's going to be covering Tyreek Hill because uh, he killed them that first game. And that's where that, that deficit that they were behind uh, early in the first half, it was hard to come back from, which, as you said, they did fight back and ended up only losing by three. So um, I think they can definitely do that. They can figure out an answer for Tyreek Hill. I think they also need to not turn the ball over. I mean, we say that about every game. That's obviously the most basic advice you can give a team is just don't turn the ball over. But those three interceptions, had the Packers really capitalized on that, it might have been a different story. You might be talking about a different team right now. And you cannot turn the ball over to that Kansas City offense three times. You just cannot give Patrick Mahomes the ball more than he has to have it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, the Buccaneers are probably going to try to run the ball more, I would think. You're going to see more um, Fournette and Ron Jones in the Super Bowl just to, to burn that clock, keep the ball away from Kansas City and, and away from Pat Mahomes. So I think that's probably going to be uh, part of Bruce's game plan. Um, hopefully they don't fall behind and they can continue to do that. All right. Any final thoughts from anyone? Nope. But you should probably get down there to the Super Bowl since you're so close out there in Tampa. I know. Go I'm enjoy jealous. the festivities. Go. Go, know, do, go tailgate or something at least. <laughs> exactly. With a mask. With a mask. So I wish it was. I wish it was a full stadium. I want to go, but tickets are more than my college tuition. If Tom Brady wins, he's just going to want to like really solidify the nail in the coffin and try to get another one in Tampa. Oh, he's definitely coming back next year. Now that he's got this taste 100%. in his mouth already again. Uh, I think he and BA having a lot of fun and um, you can guarantee you'll see him back. You won't see Antonio Brown, Brown in a Buccaneers uniform next year, but I think Gronk and really? um, Brady will be there. Yeah, he only signed a one-year deal, so I think you've seen him you know, on his best behavior. He's not been in the headlines and the news because he knows he's got a big contract he's going to be signing in the offseason somewhere. Someone's going to pay him big money. Uh, you'll probably see somebody like um, the Dolphins. Uh, I was going to say the Dolphins. I feel like Ooh, if he went Dolphins to the Dolphins, next year is going to be big. I can't <laughs> wait to watch them. They have the cap space to do some dangerous things, especially with what they already have. Yeah. I think the Eagles are probably looking for a receiver as well. So I think that's another place where, where Antonio Brown would fit. Especially if they He's get rid of Carson. No, he'll never oh. come back to Pittsburgh. No. Tomlin's done. Now, I wish Tomlin was done. About, interesting thing we didn't talk about is you have two um, former Steelers problem, troubled, troubled childs uh, in Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown heading, heading off together. I wonder if, they're, uh, if they talk about that much who's going to win that game. I don't like that narrative because I think it's just tired. We haven't had Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell in years. They didn't work out in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh had the talent that they needed to get multiple Super Bowls. I won't even get into how much they, I think, wasted a lot of windows of opportunity. But yeah, I, I just, I don't like that narrative because I mean, they're not Pittsburgh Steelers anymore. They didn't end well with this team. Yeah, they're both on Super Bowl teams, but they're not the stars of their teams anymore like they were in Pittsburgh. They were they were the killer bees, Ben, Bell, and Brown, and they're they're not the the center of attention on their teams anymore. So I kind of almost think like they're irrelevant. Like they won the the Bucks won the NFC Championship without Brown and Le'Veon Bell hasn't done much all season, so no, he hasn't. You're right. And um, his career may be over. It's interesting as you say that because Antonio Brown, I think this is his second Super Bowl appearance. His first one came his rookie year, and he barely played in that game against the Packers um, when the Steelers lost. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's been a while. Um, Le'Veon Bell, when he left Pittsburgh, it wasn't – people didn't hate him as much as they did Antonio Brown because he was just after the money. Uh, he wasn't just – he didn't go crazy on social media and – go nuts like well, Antonio Brown hopefully did. hopefully that um Antonio Brown figure on the Bucks doesn't translate to the Super Bowl like he did with the Steelers back then hopefully they could pull out a win and I'm talking yeah, to hopefully Steelers he gets then. the ball <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I mean, he scores I mean if he does good for him I think he was a good fit for Bruce Arians is not going to put up with any bullshit so I thought it was a good fit when they signed him and he he's paid off for them. Like I said, he has made a lot of connections with Tom Brady on the field and he's scored um, a game winning touchdown, I think against the football team. So he's, he's played well for the bucks, but again, he's not the star player. He's not the star of any of narratives in in Tampa Bay right now. He really had to tone it down though. There was a lot going on with him. He had to like 
dial it back and be a, a shadow for a second. Yeah, because he's going for that big contract next year, and he knows that. And so he had to be on his best behavior because, you know, he, someone's going to pay him probably $20 million a year. And I hope I hope Dwayne Haskins acts the same way that Antonio Brown did this year because uh, he needs to calm it down a little bit, and the Steelers just signed him for a one-year deal. That's an interesting signing uh, for sure. Doesn't You know, the Steelers had nothing to lose, really. He's basically taking up the spot that Duck uh, had on the roster. And, um, you know, I don't think there's any guaranteed money if he doesn't work out in the minis and mini camps in the spring, then they can just cut him and move on. But I think it's huge. The guy has a lot of talent. He's a number one draft pick for a reason. So, I mean, I can remember back when Brett Favre was drafted by the Falcons and didn't do much there, had some issues and was shipped off to Green Bay and the rest is history. So, you know, it'd be nice if they can kind of see some type of success like that, like uh, we saw with Brett Favre, but who knows? Uh, but I, I don't think it was a bad move. I think it's pretty smart, actually. I agree. And I also think that the Steelers have had so many problem children, quote unquote, in the past that I think that this team is kind of done with that. Hopefully moving forward, I'm hoping that that's the attitude. I obviously don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but I think if I was a coach there, I would be like, we're not putting up with anything the second you slip up you're getting sent out of the practice squad that day. Yeah, that's what that should be the way. And that's the way Bruce Arians has always been. Uh, he's not afraid to have, to sign those problem children. And they, they typically do what he expects of them. And, you know, they, they perform well and they don't make headlines. And that's, I think, big. And that's uh, because of Bruce and, and the way he's structured. I mean, he doesn't take any BS at all. Yeah, when he was with the Cardinals, I mean, there's always a rule. Do not park in Bruce Arians' parking spot. And I think it was a tight end. Uh, the guy's name was Lawrence Okoye. And uh, he broke that rule. And next thing you know, he, he found himself cut later uh, in the season. I mean, right after. So <laughs> don't break his rules. Um, and, and I think that's what it is. People know what to expect, know what Bruce expects of them. And, you know, he, I, I, when he drafted Tyran Matthew, um, out of college, LSU, he was a problem child and he had a lot of issues. And I can remember talking to him and saying, why'd you do that? And he said, well, first time he messes up, he's gone. And that's kind of how the rule he always has. And I think when he brought in Antonio Brown, it was the same thing. He said some down talks to him. It's not going to take anything from you. You know, you're, gonna, you're here to play football and uh, that's it. They need that leadership, that guidance. You see it all the time in college. Coaches let these guys do whatever they want to do. They're young. They're not matured yet. Some of these kids are 19 years old, and it just drives their career into the ground. You can't be doing that once you're in the NFL. I think the other thing is Bruce knows that playing in the NFL is a huge opportunity that most people won't even get in their whole lifetime, and he knows that there's a whole line of people that are standing behind these guys. If you're not willing to follow the rules, someone else will kind of thing. And, I mean, I think that it should be looked like at like that. These guys are getting paid an absurd amount of money to do what they love and to be on this platform, and if you can't handle it, there is someone who will be able to. Yeah, and that leadership's going to go to the Super Bowl. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. Easy as that. I mean, this is just, like, so historical for so many reasons, but also so cool for Tampa Bay that they get to play this Super Bowl in their home stadium. Yes, and are they yeah, going to be in the visitor's locker room? What's going on? No, with they, there was a night we announced today. Um, I saw Christine Arians posted that they're actually in – they're the actual home team as well. So they will have the home team locker room. Oh, so they're their own locker room. Logistically speaking, what, let's just keep them there. Yeah, I mean, normally, I don't know how that works exactly, uh, how they decide which team's the home team in the Super Bowl. I think maybe it's every other year, AFC, NFC, but it just has, so happens this year that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are actually the home team in the home field, which will be kind of cool for them. That is very too bad, cool. Too bad there's not going to be a lot of fans. I think there's 22,500. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like a third of what could actually be there. Yeah. Yeah, it's I think tickets are going for anywhere between eighty five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. I saw. <laughs> well, it's it's tough now with the limited seating. They're not letting that. I mean, twenty two thousand people is a lot of people, but how many people can that stadium fit? I think like sixty five or seventy thousand. Right. And I think each player gets thirty five tickets, and each coach gets twenty five. So there's not a lot for the rest of the fans. And then about I think seventy five hundred healthcare workers are going too. So that's allocated to them, which that's a really cool thing. Yeah, yeah, so, so that's why tickets are so expensive. Yeah, because there's only when you think about it, that probably gets the tickets to probably.
probably close to 10,000 they're actually selling. All right. Well, thank you, dad. I don't know what you're doing now, but it looks like you're busy. So I'm on my way out. So yes. <laughs> Thanks ladies. That was fun. Thank you for coming on and uh, chatting. We'll have you back. Absolutely. We'll have you back. Fun. We'll do it well, again. Thank you, Matt Brown, so much. You give us Maddie, and you also gave us some good takes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the takes. Thanks, Dad, for joining us. Uh, my dad is my go-to during during these games. He always gets the angry calls whenever something goes wrong. So it was it was nice to have him on and, and see his his perspective. I know he'll definitely have to join us again. But before we go anywhere, we got to talk about the Chiefs and the Bills. Like we said, a lot to unpack here. Yeah. It was okay. I think this game everyone was expecting to be the game of the weekend. It got the primetime slot. I mean, I had predicted that the Bills were going to upset the Chiefs, and that is not what happened. It was it was almost it was kind of an ugly game. It, it was yeah. hard to watch at some points. We spoke last week a lot about the concussions. Is Patrick Mahomes gonna be around? Is he gonna be available? I would like to say I predicted this correctly. I did <laughs> choose the Chiefs. I said I don't know if Patrick Mahomes should be out there with that concussion, but he was, he's going to be, and he is going to win. And that's exactly what they did. I think the Bills' immaturity showed in this game. I think you could yeah. tell that, that that they haven't been here in a while. And, I mean, it, it was it was kind of – it was hard to watch. Like I said, it was, it was not the most exciting game. I mean, the Chiefs really pulled ahead after being down – I think it was 9-0 in the first. But – that end of that game, that little tussle, we had the little altercation on the field. And, and I, Josh Allen really lost his cool throwing that football at the Chiefs defenders. So, I mean, you hate to see that. I mean, yeah. you'd like to see people lose and win with class. And, and I mean, I, I just think it was, it was almost too big of a stage for this Bills team. Um, like we said, we love Bills Mafia. We were rooting for the Bills this whole season. We were excited to see them do so well. But it, it just wasn't – it wasn't the time. I mean, I had picked the Bills. I, I thought – Yeah, early on you thought it was going to be the Bills. I, yeah. I was saying I think it's going to be the Chiefs. I think they're just going to do it. But I wanted it to be the Bills because Bills Mafia and Tampa against the Bucks would have been unheard of. But like you said, it's this is not a team. This is a team we thought could do it, but it's not – the maturity wasn't there. They didn't like, look like they could do it no. on that field. They didn't look like the Bills team we've been watching. It, they just looked watered down almost. And, I mean, yeah. maybe that just speaks to the talent on the Chiefs' side. I mean, both teams have incredible talent, but the yeah. Chiefs just looked like another breed on the field. I, I predicted the Bills were going to win the Super Bowl weeks ago. And I mean, I got kind of close. I mean, my two teams that I had going to the Super Bowl made the top four, but I was dead wrong about both games last week. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was just... There was, was a lot of emotion involved, you could tell, especially after the game. Josh Allen said it himself. You don't want to lose the seat. You don't want to finish your season like that. Yeah, and I think it's, they got so close to that Super Bowl game that they could taste it and they just got a little bit ahead of themselves but I mean I think we're definitely going to see this Bills team as a force in the AFC for years to come they've got a lot of young talent and I mean I don't know if you saw this Charlotte but Stephon Diggs stayed on the field to watch the AFC I saw that yeah celebration so I think that that shows he's hungry he knows he's taking notes yeah he he's watching what could have been and I think that he's going to take that moving forward and it's going to motivate him hopefully and like I said we're, we're this Bills team is not going to go away anytime soon they're going to be yeah. dominant for a, a little while I think in, in their division I know they have a kind of a tough division I they have the Dolphins who are heating up but the Patriots who have been good for so long the Jets are making some big changes this offseason but Bills Mafia this is not the end of their story Mm-mm. it just it was a little bit of a sad end to a great season it was. And it's it's almost seemed like there was a lack of confidence. Like they went into it with big heads and then came out of it just defeated at, at its purest form, defeated. Yes. I've said this about the Bills, that they were heating up at the right time. And it almost looked like they were completely cooled off during this game. Yeah. it. Was, I mean, it happens. It does. I mean, I think we started to see a little bit of a trickle of that 
in last week's game against the Ravens because it was such a low-scoring low game. The Bills ultimately pulled ahead, but but the Ravens did have their starting quarterback go out with an injury. So, I mean, they didn't look as dominant in that game as I was expecting them to either. But like I said, they have a lot of young talent. Josh Allen's only 24 years old. He has so many great seasons ahead of him, and this Bills team just isn't quite up there with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's Chiefs. Didn't Wasn't there a situation of a fourth and goal issue again? There was another field goal decision. Yeah, there was actually a couple of that in the Bills game. I, the, I'm, I would love to sit down with Sean McDermott and Matt LaFleur and just, just really pick their brains like, out. Did you guys plan this? Season. Come on. What was going on here? <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, it's almost like your team is down and out. Why why not just I don't understand the field goal situation there. I mean, your dad talked a lot about it. What his take was. The team's going to lose anyway. It's not a defining factor. Yeah, I mean, but. he had, he was I, my dad's the only person. That's why we had him on because he's he's one of the only people that actually ha- gave a good reason for why he thought Matt LaFleur made that field goal decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot happened on Sunday, and I mean, the first game was incredible to watch. The second game was a little, it got a little, a little boring. Not gonna lie. Yeah. But yeah. Um, overall, we're gonna have two incredible teams facing off in Tampa Bay in a little over a week, and I am so excited to see the results of that game. We both said our picks are gonna be the Bucks, so we'll see if that holds. We'll talk about it more um, this upcoming week as well. Yeah, maybe a little special presentation. Oh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We we have a lot planned for Super Bowl week. It's one of my favorite weeks of the entire Super Bowl year. week and Maddie's birthday it's, week. She's hum- she's not, being humble. It's not always my favorite week because of my birthday. That that does play a role, but I love the Super Bowl. And we'll it's, we, yeah. I love Super Bowl Super Bowl commercials, Super Bowl halftime show, the national anthem, the whole thing. I can't wait. I'm so excited. All right, so We have a lot of football to come. We've had a lot of football on this podcast since we started. Um, Next week, we probably only have about 10 more days to really talk about football. Two more episodes, maybe, that you'll hear about it. And then we're going to have some other sports take over. So before we talk about too much football in this episode, let's get over to UFC. Big fight this weekend. Big yikes. Yeah. Big yikes. Definition of an upset, if you ask me. Yeah, Conor McGregor knocked out for the first time in his career by Dustin Poirier. We thought this was the return of the Mac. He was returning to lightweight after winning the belt in 2016. And Poirier actually lost to McGregor back in 2014. And everyone said, wow, this was, he was avenging that loss. But he said, no, this wasn't, I wasn't avenging any loss. I was, I went out there in 2014. And I said, "Uh Oh, I'm fighting Conor McGregor. This is going to be my, I I was a deer in headlights, he said. But this time he said, I'm just fighting another man. I just want to, I'm just here to win. I don't care who it is. So maybe that mentality really won him this match in a dramatic fashion. It was a knockout. Oh yeah. In the second round. Like I said, I've, I brought my brother up a few times on this podcast because he does have a lot of crazy sports knowledge and he's, he's just very, into it and he told me he was kicking himself because he said he almost placed a bet on McGregor getting knocked out in round two and that's exactly what happened and he said his friends told him he was crazy when he texted it to the group chat and so he said he didn't do it but then he was absolutely kicking himself because he had that in his gut and I said oh my god oh man specific too to not have that right he's lost the last two two of the last three fights he's been in. And he said, I can't remember who put this out or what I saw it on Twitter. It said, you can't leave and expect to come back hot in this sport, in this arena. You can't take a break and expect to win. Yeah. I mean, that that knockout is going to be a meme for oh my a long God. while to come. I mean, right hook to the... Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Him just laying on the mat it makes me cringe. Even thinking about it. that picture is rough to look at. Um, he was definitely hurt. He was down for the count, mm-hmm. quite literally. And I think he he tweeted that he was it was pretty sore the next day. So yeah, the diamond dust in the diamond was shining bright. I just want to get your take super quick about UFC. 
because it is so interesting to me, UFC, boxing, the MMA, the whole thing, but it's so violent. Sometimes I'm watching and I'm like, ah, I'm like, oh my God, what are you, oh my God, no, in the head. A hundred What do you think? It makes me so nervous because you see the blood, you see the cuts, you see them gargle and they spit the blood out. Oh my God, I get so nervous and they look so injured and I'm like, oh my goodness. If I got punched one time, Mm -mm. I would be out, like done. Over if with. I was up against someone of my exact size, I think McGregor and Poirier were like the same height, the same weight, same age, the whole thing. If I was up against someone my size with zero experience, I could probably take them. <laughs> I don't even think probably I could. Take <laughs> no, I, like what you hit me one time, I'd be like, oh my goodness, stop. Thank you. Bye. <sighs> I, no, I, I, no. The, these guys are tough. These guys yeah. are tough, though. That is, and they get up and they're like, "All right, I'm fine." Yes. And McGregor wants to wants a rematch before summer. I know so that's the scary there. thing. If if someone beat me up, I would not want to fight. Them right. <laughs> right. Isn't that just the rules of a fight? It's like, okay, um, we're done here. Um, <laughs> but no, that's talking about UFC right now. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, right. we had to discuss it though because I mean that. It was all over the there, place. There was a lot that went on this weekend, but that was definitely a shocker for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they had like one – it's not publicly traded, um, the ESPN, like the pay-per-view thing or whatever, but it's – um, they were like predicting like 1.7 million people bought the fight. And the fight was like 70 bucks. It started late, but it was quick. Yeah, it was definitely – quicker than I expected it to be but like you said 1.7 million people buying that fight that's pretty crazy but I mean these fights are huge money makers and I mean they are really interesting to watch like you said UFC boxing it's it's really interesting because there is so much technique into it that I can't really wrap my head around it's not just fighting there is there's technique they train for this mm-hmm. they prepare for this and they are tough as hell and I have a friend who's really into um boxing and we would box with him over the summer and he would teach us kind of how to do the things and I wasn't very good but it was fun (laughs) and he said this was interesting when they like kind of hug or maybe this is just boxing but I feel like I've seen it with you this weekend the UFC fights but they'll hug to like kind of take a break and I think that's so funny yes yes I saw that in the in the last Canelo fight yes it's like oh they're just doing a hug (laughs) That's funny. Like, they just are both taking – they're, like, collectively agreeing, all right, we need to take a break real quick, and then we can get back to this. (laughs) (laughs) Just take take a little breather. Um, Speaking of breaks, um, maybe it's time we get to one. National Hockey League. Yes. The Devils are moving up at the right time. They're sitting at number four in the East. They beat the Islanders and the Rangers. Woohoo! But I just want to talk about quickly when they beat the Islanders um, this weekend. They lost 1-1-1. Kind of seems to be the theme for this Devils team this year. Ty Smith really led the charge on Sunday. It was a blowout, two to a blowout in hockey, two to two to nothing. Um, but it's interesting because Scott Wedgwood made all of the twenty-eight saves. This is his first NHL shutout since he blanked the Devils back in twenty seventeen when he was with Arizona. But he had to step up because starting goalie Mackenzie Blackwood had COVID. We've talked we talked about this last week. COVID's kind of an issue that they're starting to see. And um, that goalie position was kind of scary for this team. We got Corey Crawford announcing he's retiring before, and we have this one goalie. And luckily, they signed um, Wedgwood in the offseason, and he he showed up. And I think um, once Blackwood gets back on the ice after COVID, he's going to start most of these games. But they're in a good position with a backup like him. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about making a splash. You you get signed, really, um, because they need a goalie. And then you come in and you make yeah. 28 saves in a game. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. And the Lightning, also. Big team. We like to talk about them. We like our Tampa teams. Well, we'll probably be talking about the Lightning for a while. We'll, we'll, get oh, our yeah. boy, we'll get our boy, devout Lightning fan, Danny New, back on. Oh, he'll come point. back. He'll come back. <laughs> they are sitting pretty, also, leading the Central Division. Maddie, tell us about the Lightning. So they did pick up their first loss against the Blue Jackets. They lost 5-2, to two, but like we said, no team in hockey is going to go undefeated. It's just not going to happen. There's 56 games this year. It, no one's going to no go up to the end without a loss. Um, and, and no Stanley Cup champ has, has started a season with even just four straight wins. 
since the Red Wings did it in 1997-98. So it's not that big of a deal that they picked up a loss. They're still leading the Central Division. And so, I mean, if, if they get the Cup again, maybe they can try again next year for that four straight wins to start the next season. They lost some uh, some players in that game, some key components. So I think that they were just not on their – it wasn't their day. But they have, they're still the reigning champs. So I think that they'll, they'll be a team that we continue to talk about. Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're not, they don't look like they're slowing down despite the loss. I mean, like we said, mm-hmm. there's a lot of hockey left to be played. A team that was not looking so good last time when we talked about them, Pittsburgh Penguins, yes. the team after my yes. own heart. Um, they're moving their way up to the top of that East division. They were second to last last time when we discussed them. And now my Penguins only have two losses that puts them right above their rivals in Pennsylvania the Philadelphia Flyers who they did lose to twice this season in a row but hey they just turned off a little rusty they are actually undefeated in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania my home yeah so they're actually undefeated at home which is pretty cool actually to start the season undefeated at home they obviously had that that rough little rough little season kickoff in Philly but uh, so far in Pittsburgh, they've been looking pretty good. Yeah, this is a team that there's a lot going on for them right now, and I think that maybe they'll be able to lead the East going into the season. We'll see what happens. I hope so. I mean, Malkin Malkin didn't look so hot the other day, but Crosby is still Crosby, so we love to see that. And we'll, we'll see. Like we said, a lot of hockey left to be played, but we'll, we'll keep updating you on how these teams are, are are doing moving forward as the season progresses. The Golden Knights are still looking pretty hot, too. Yeah, the Golden Knights are leading the West, and the Maple Leafs are leading the North. That's pretty typical. Maddie, we've we've made it. We we touched on this at the beginning of the episode. Um, this is a pretty Bucks-heavy episode, but, I mean, they, they, deserve, they deserve the hype right now. They deserve to get the airtime because they – are making history in so many ways, but we saw a TikTok this week that hit us both in the feels. Charlotte, let's talk about it. TikToker Warren Palm posted a little green screen moment of him and his dad back in 2003 when the Bucks made the Super Bowl, and then it cuts to him by himself with that same photo of his dad because the Bucks just made the Super Bowl in 2021, and it says. He'd be so hype right now. Miss you, Dad. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It's so – it's heartbreaking, but it's also heartwarming because he would be so happy right now. This Bucks team has just absolutely taken history and just flipped it on itself and has made so many breakthrough um, decisions and just really powered through to make it here this year. So super exciting, especially for an OG Bucks fan. Especially since Brady came. We got a lot of former Patriots fans, former Brady fans just hopping on the Bucks bandwagon. Yeah, it's it's cool to see that, especially since the Bucks are one of those teams that we've talked about. We've talked about the Jets, the Browns, the Lions, those teams that have these fans that have just gone so long without seeing success. And the Bucks really are one of those teams when you look at it. They're getting talked about this whole season because they had Brady as a dominant force they haven't been they haven't made the playoffs since 2007 so I mean just making the playoffs in itself was a huge feat for this team and now making the Super Bowl in their home stadium that guy's dad definitely would be super proud Bucks fan the cutest part of it is he was wearing the jersey his dad was wearing in the 2003 photo I can't even imagine I am grateful that I am able to enjoy sports enjoy baseball with my dad and that's something that I would never wish on an enemy. I mean, we we it's had so my sad. dad on today. It is it's a huge part yeah. of my life is is enjoying sports with my dad. So I'm hoping a little bit extra that the Bucks take home a win this February for at Warren Palm <laughs> and his dad. Yes. All right, that's our little that's our little that's our little emo part. <laughs> Let's just talk about one more emotional thing because that's just the way I am. This is the one the one year anniversary this week um, that we lost Kobe Bryant, Gianna Bryant, all those families in that tragic helicopter accident. Rest in peace. I I still remember. I think this is going to be one of those things that goes down in our history. Like 
you know, we talk about with, with our grandparents, oh, do you remember where you were when JFK got shot? Like things like that when 9-11 happened. It, it's one of those things I think that's going to go down in our history as, do you remember when you were where you were when you found out about Kobe Bryant? And I remember exactly where I was. I was actually working um, and I was sitting at my desk and I remember seeing it on Facebook. And then I remember turning on the TV and it was just on every channel. And I just remember following it for the whole day. And at first there, there weren't a lot of details, but I mean, since then, I can't believe it's been a whole year. He's just made such an impact on sports and just our whole world. Kobe Bryant is just such an icon and I no one is I don't think there's ever going to be someone who doesn't know who he was he you said it perfectly Maddie it, it is it is going to be one of those deaths that you just remember exactly like Michael Jackson do you remember exactly where you were for Michael Jackson yeah I was at Moe's Southwest Grill <laughs> <laughs> I remember exactly where it was we were driving down down the Jersey Shore and Kobe Bryant I was also at a beach weirdly um with a couple of friends and we saw it and we were like this isn't true the way that the sports world came together after that is unbelievable. And we're still talking about Mamba mentality. Yes, and, and it happened right before COVID really took over everything in, in the U.S. And I think it was just, it was a moment to bring everyone together before everyone was forced to be apart for the rest of this year, really. And, and it, is, it is something that I'm never, I'm never going to forget. And and rest in peace, Gianna, as well. So young. So sad that that happened. And all those other families. So sad. But you know what? Next week, you're going to enter your Kobe year, and you're going to have Mamba mentality. 24, baby. 24, baby. Rest in peace, Kobe. Rest in peace. We miss him. Thank you so much for joining us for episode four of Locker Room yes. Ladies. Oh, my goodness. I cannot believe we've been doing this for a month now. This is crazy. Oh, my God. You're ah, right. it's, it's like part of our routine. Now, when ah, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, if you're new here and this is your first episode, thank you so much for joining us. We're gonna start talking about baseball too soon, guys. So don't yes, worry. <laughs> and we're looking for more guests. So stay tuned. We're hoping to have a guest maybe almost every week moving forward. I would love to yes. have that. It really it's so exciting having a guest on. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll thank see you, you next week. Bye.